0: Let's see if the mic cooperates today. Well, if you look at the topic here, I'm going to talk a little bit about marriage, specifically responsibility of the husband. Uh, oftentimes I speak on things that had been requested. Uh, this is not one of those times. However, uh, and this I'll explain why I decided to preach on this. Uh, as I began to study this topic, uh, there was a request a few weeks ago, and so I'm going to incorporate uh, a little bit of that request into this. Now, we are going to talk a little bit about the responsibility of the husband. We cover a lot of different things in both our sermons and Bible studies, but I really don't think we can spend enough time on family items. So uh, if you guys want me to spend a little more time on some of these issues, just let me know. I always will speak on whatever topic you have. Uh, and as I always mentioned, through the door on the right-hand side, you can get an outline. You may wonder why I chose this. Well, actually, I chose this topic because uh, this week... Uh, Specifically I was coming through on on third shift early in the morning and there's a lady that has worked there for I don't know how long and she never has a wedding band on. Well you begin, you notice those things and so as I was talking to her and she was grabbing parts I noticed she had a wedding, band, or at least a ring on her wedding band finger and so I said I I didn't realize you were married. She said oh I'm not married. And she began to talk a little bit about the ring but she said "Uh, I'm not married because I can't find a Christian man. Uh, and she said, I have gone out with a few people, she said, but they weren't, they weren't Christians. And she said, uh, without going into a lot of detail, they weren't really looking for the same thing she was looking for, if that makes sense. So I began to think a little bit about that throughout the week. It's funny that she made a designation. She wasn't just looking in her, in her words. She wasn't looking for just a man. She was looking for a Christian man. Really, you've got to begin to ask yourself, why would a woman want to marry a Christian man as opposed to somebody who just lives out in the world? Um, So today, we're going to spend just a little bit of time, and again, I wish I could cover a lot more than I can. This would take a couple lessons to cover, but we're going to hit some of the big points here. Uh, Going back and really just beginning to look at a little bit of the responsibilities for a, or traits for a Christian husband. Well, how is it that a Christian husband is different than a non-Christian husband? Let's notice first as we begin to talk about really the full basis of of the marriage partnership and the beginning of that, and husbands, Christian husbands, cleaving to their wives. Uh, Marriage has always had the intent for husbands to cling cling or to cleave to their wives. Now, going over to Genesis 2, verse 18, we'll notice here that word cleave and really what it means, but it's been that way since the very beginning. We go back to uh, the account with Adam and Eve. Genesis 2.18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him an helpmeet for him. Now if you slide down just a couple of verses there to verse 21, we then have the helpmeet. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof, and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. And therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Well, what exactly does it mean to cleave to a wife? I would say that for many of us who are here that are married, we didn't understand this at all. We did not, we didn't comprehend or understand, not completely or fully, the idea of cleaving. You go back in this Hebrew word here, and I can't do the Hebrew guttural type of sound, but the name here, or the word here is, is dalbach. It means to adhere or to glue, to follow closely after, to stick, to join together. And so as you begin to look at this idea between the husband and wife, you see that close, intimate relationship you have between two. And Jesus literally quotes from Moses. Let's go on over to Matthew chapter 19. And Jesus, as He quotes from Moses, again, refers back to this this oneness, this cleaving that you have taking place as He answers a question. And again, this question is so important for the world today. Notice what He says there, starting in Matthew 19, uh, verse 3. "'The Pharisees also came unto Him, tempting Him, and saying unto Him, "'Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause?' And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. And wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. So Christian husbands are to, in essence, really be inseparable from their wives. They are to have this, this relationship that is so intermingled. I was having a conversation this week about uh, people who travel, specifically men who travel, uh, and I, I had told somebody, I said, I could never do that job. I couldn't, be, I couldn't be gone from my house for long periods of time. You begin to talk about this close relationship that you have here, and Jesus, as He's answering them, the, the original question was, can I put away my wife for every cause? jesus as he talks about this idea between the husband cleaving to the wife gives them the answer and the answer is no no the husband can't put her away for any cause the husband and the wife are to be bonded together so inseparably insepar- that worldliness and the things that happen in the world the consequences the struggles the temptations None of that comes in and would draw the husband away from the wife. Now, there is an exception. We'll touch on that just briefly today, but that's, that is not the intent of the sermon, really. But we begin to talk about the husband and how he has this, this interaction with his wife and that they are so joined together that he cleaves to her. Guys, this isn't a common trait amongst the world. And if you begin to look at a lot of people, a lot of relationships, marriage relationships, those outside of the church... Well, even inside the church, unfortunately, you'll find a number of problems within those marriages. And sometimes, not always, sometimes it's because the husband doesn't cleave to his spouse. Sometimes it's the spouse not cleaving back to her husband. But for a husband to truly cleave to his wife, he has to strive. I mean, there's going to be a lot of work. And I think partially, as I stated, we didn't, for those of us who are married, we didn't truly get this. You really can't there's certain things you really just can't fully comprehend at least not at that point point. and you guys know the common mindset today the common mindset is not the idea of cleaving and and making it through no matter what it is the common mindset is is if this doesn't work out I'll just I'll just divorce her and I'll try over right that, that's very common in the atmosphere that I work in my secular job people constantly have that type of well I'll just divorce him you know I'll, I'll find somebody that meets my needs I went back and looked up the numbers they varied from site to site but roughly the the divorce rate was list, listed somewhere between 42 and 45%. Some places as high as 50. The majority said 42 to 45 and then if you take in where people have actually separated from their spouse but didn't get divorced but remained separated the actual rate of a marriage either ending in divorce or total separation was somewhere right around 50%. It's not very good odds. Uh, I know we're nowhere near that here. Nowhere. Nowhere near that. And probably maybe I should spend more time on marriage and responsibility and the the, the marriage partners and so forth so we we ensure that that doesn't happen. But in the world, for the most part, roughly about 50% of people end up getting divorced. We'll touch on that here for just a second too. But certainly this is contrary to what God had in plan from the very beginning. (laughs) Listen to Matthew 5.32. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. The intent was for the spouses to remain together. He does give this one exclusion, and uh, it's for the cause of adultery or fornication, uh, intimate relations with somebody that's not your spouse. That's not the general mindset today. For the most part, the idea is, is, you know, if it's not working out, we'll just start over. Notice what Paul actually teaches over in Romans chapter 7, verses 2 through 3. And here we see the permanency of marriage. For the woman which hath, had an, which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Well, that that used to be the common mindset amongst marriages. matter of fact, if you go back and and even still today in most of the marriage ceremonies, what do we normally say? Till death do us part, right? That's the design. That's the intent. It always has been. The marriage bond is supposed to be the closest uh, human relationship that exists, uh, and really is only to be severed by death. And we mentioned, uh, you know, a coworker that I work with. I think he was, he's been married 40-some years, and his wife passed away this week. I think she was only 67. I don't know how it is that he is dealing with, with that as well. I mean, he's, he's struggling, don't get me wrong. But I think for many of us that have been married for a very long time, there is nothing that you can imagine worse than losing your loved one, losing your spouse. And that's the idea behind marriage. You are to stay together, other than the the circumstance we mentioned earlier, you are to stay together until death separates you. The idea is, is that you cleave and you're not going to let anything separate you except for death. Now, we look at Adam and Eve, and I was joking about this with my wife this week, Literally, I mean, they were one flesh. She was actually taken from his rib. But in the same way, husbands today are still supposed to be one flesh with their bride. And here's what's really sad as you begin to think a little bit about this. Getting married and the, the physical relationship right off the bat, that doesn't, that doesn't make you one flesh in the sense that the Bible really talks about being one flesh. What I'm, what I'm saying is is there's more to it than that. I mean, there are a lot of marriages where people are married and they are physically one flesh, but they're still lacking in many regards. And so as you begin to talk about this idea of one flesh, it's a whole lot more than just that idea of, well, physical intimacy makes us one flesh. It's, it's the physical intimacy and the intimacy outside of that time. It's the holding hands and all of the other stuff that takes place, the way that a husband treats his wife. All of that is wrapped up in that idea of being one flesh. And how does that all begin, and how is it strengthened? Only when I cleave to my spouse. When you cleave to your spouse. And you go back and you think, why is she looking for a Christian husband? A lot of husbands don't cleave to their spouses like we see there. You guys ever notice the emphasis placed on the husband? To cleave and to lead and all of those things if I, was, if I was a lady, I would want a husband that's going to give me that sense of security and comfort. All those things that I need, that's totally different today, guys, than what we oftentimes find in the world. If we want to have a marriage that's going to withstand all the trials and the junk that happens in this world around us, we have to cleave and strive for this, this marriage bond that exists. And it's so strong that the only thing that's going to take it, take it away, stop it, is literally death. Death itself well that's the foundational principle that has to be incorporated in every marriage so that people have the mindset to stay together now we're focusing on the husband but it's not just the husband the wife has to have this mindset too but you have to start right there I think when any when anybody's considering especially for our ladies here that are not married you're looking for a husband to marry what are you looking for you want a husband a godly man who you know when he says he does He is. He's he's not going somewhere else. He's going to stay. I can see why she wants a Christian husband. Well, what exactly does that mean as far as the cleaving and what else is involved? Well, then we have to begin to talk about the way that a husband loves his wife. Modern culture doesn't understand this. You talk about the word love and the word we use in the English language doesn't even come close to encompassing the love we find described within our scriptures. Let's go on over to Ephesians 5. Now we could look at a lot of passages. As I told you earlier, I really wish we could spend a lot more time on this than we can today. Listen to Ephesians 5 starting in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That's the type of love you're supposed to have for your wife. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. And so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. All right, this passage here is a passage virtually every one of us uh, have probably heard. As a matter of fact, this is a very common passage that is read oftentimes during the wedding ceremony. And here's what's sad. It's often neglected. Uh, One of the reasons is is husbands are not practicing Ephesians 5.25. As I was contemplating on this topic, there's a few other things that I did as I was thinking about it. But one of the things I did, I went back and I began to look at the primary reasons for divorce. And I'm not going to focus in great deal on them, but I do want to mention what they are because they are going to affect both of us as husbands and wives. Here are the top ten reasons that people get divorced. And much of this is because of husbands... And really, also wives not carrying out the type of love described here in Ephesians chapter 5. Number one reason for divorce infidelity. I don't think we need to spend much time on that. That is somebody who is having an intimate relationship with somebody who is not their spouse. Uh, and clearly, as we already pointed out, there was an exclusion in Matthew 19 verses 1 through 9. I'm not going to go back and deal with that. We have covered that so many times, but that's the number one reason. Number two, money issues. <laughs> Primarily, uh, it, it's one person actually spending more money or being, uh, being uh, misuseful mis or misusing their money. Matter of fact, I had a lady at work. She divorced her husband just recently, told, and I asked her why. That was the reason why. She said, I'm here working every day, and he spends the money quicker than I can make it, so I just divorced him. I'm thinking maybe counseling might be a better option, but no, she just divorced him. That's number two reason. Number three, lack of communication. We're not talking about just not talking. We are talking about not communicating on an intimate level, right? We can live in the same house and talk every day, but there's still this lack of communication that leads to eventually one divorcing their spouse, and it's, it's not having conversations on an intimate level. Number four, constant arguing. Number five, weight gain. That was a big one. Uh, one of the spouses not, not uh, taking care of themselves and the other spouse then saying, well, I'm no longer attracted to you, so guess what? I'm just gonna go find someone else. Number six, unrealistic expectations. That could tie back into to number five. We wanna address, address that and spend time on it. Number seven, lack of intimacy. Uh, one partner saying that we are, we are not as intimate as often as we should be. Uh, they're, not, they're not caring. of. This isn't just the physical portion, but that's a big one. Uh, the other portion was as well. They're not. They're not considerate of me as far as my emotional needs. So all of that idea of intimacy tied together. Somebody is lacking in that area, and so their idea is we'll just get rid of them. Next was lack of equality. I didn't spend much time going back and researching this, but for the most part, it seemed like somebody was. Most of it was I do this and you don't do that. So it's kind of the um, I do more than you or you don't do more. You do more than I do and so. There are a lot of things I do that my wife doesn't do, right? And there's a lot of things my wife does that I don't do. Uh, I don't play the really the tit-for-tat thing. It's, we do as much as we can, and we try to, uh, to e- evenly work stuff out. But that was one of them. Not being prepared for marriage. I had to laugh about this one. Which husband in here was actually prepared for marriage? None. None of us. Like I said, we didn't have any idea what we were <laughs> We knew what we were doing. We didn't have any idea what we were doing. So that was a lot of the reasons given. I wasn't prepared. And then you got this one, which is extremely sad physical and emotional abuse. How many of us have actually seen that take place? Hopefully, not many of us, but some of us have. Those are the top 10 reasons. And a number of those, those issues arrive if it's being done by the husband because he is not loving his wife the way we find described in Ephesians chapter 5. Right? Most marriages actually start out with the husband and wife loving each other. How many of you guys remember when you got married? I had the googly eyes, I remember. <laughs> but that type of love was not the type of love we're talking about here. They're totally different. You guys know what I'm talking about. I didn't fully I didn't fully comprehend. That's the type of love based on physical attraction, physical desire. And don't get me wrong, I wanted to be with her. But the reasons were a little different and I didn't fully comprehend. It's not what we find as far as the type of love here in Ephesians chapter five, that's a byproduct of this type of love. The love mentioned in Ephesians five chapter uh, or Ephesians five verse twenty-five comes from the Greek word agape. We've spoke about this word a lot. Very different than our English word for love. It's a love. It's not just a love that comes through physical attraction. As a matter of fact, that's not the type of love it's focusing on at all. Uh, although again, that's a byproduct of it. Uh, Agape love never refers to romantic or sexual type of love, nor does it refer to that love that you have as close friends. This is a type of love based on faithfulness and commitment, and it's distinguished from all the other types of love, really in the sense that it is a very sacrificial type of love. It's really the foundation that leads to to the romantic side of love and it's really the foundational type of love that keeps your marriage as strong as it can be in all areas let's go on over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 I'm just gonna read verses one through eight most of you are familiar with this passage again one of those that we read virtually every time you do a wedding we read from 1 Corinthians 13 why well the husband needs to understand the type of love that he's supposed to have I wasn't a Christian when I got married guess where we read 1 Corinthians 13. I wish I had turned my ears on just a little bit better. But I wasn't a Christian, so I didn't get it. 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 1, "...though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity or love, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I I could remove mountains and have not charity or love, I am nothing." And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. It is not puffed up. It doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things. Believeth all things. Hopeth all things, endureth all things. And he continues to go on there. Husbands, if you want your marriage to be great, and you want to have this type of a closeness that, really that women go out and buy, you guys know the love novels that people, I don't, my wife doesn't read, I don't know if she reads, she didn't read them around me. But the love novels that the ladies go buy, they, they, they talk about the type of... This is the type of love that they're trying to read out of those books. It's an agape type of love. It's a sacrificial type of love. The romantic type of love is the byproduct from that. But First Corinthians 10 is showing us that this is a husband who, who wants nothing but the best for his bride, willing to do anything, sacrifice and do whatever it takes. He's, he seeks her highest good in all regards. There's got to be sacrifice when that takes place, and again, guys, that's often that's often lacking in, initially in marriages. Sometimes simply out of ignorance. Uh, I, first time I played basketball, guys, I was pretty. I wasn't very good at it. It took an awful lot of experience and messing up. Guess how? Unfortunately, sometimes our marriages become great. A lot of experience and messing up. The agape love is also described over in First John. Going over to First John chapter three. I'll read in verse 16, and really, if I was to summarize what he's saying here, he is basically pointing to the actions of this type of love. It's more than just words. You guys remember the song, More Than Words? <laughs> I'm all over the place today. That's what, first, that's what First John's covering, okay? More than words. First John three sixteen through 18, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? And my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You may be saying, well, that's not a marriage passage. It's got the same word of love there, the agape type of love. It's demonstrated through sacrifice in meeting the needs of others. Your wife's going to know that you agape love her when you're meeting the needs of whatever it is that she has, okay? I can tell my wife every day that I love her, but if the, you know the old saying, the proof's in the pudding? If my actions don't confirm what I'm saying, it doesn't mean a whole lot. Oftentimes, it's nothing more than just empty promises. The words alone don't do enough to strengthen my marriage. It's the agape love in action. And so, if we'll we'll love our spouses in that that way, that sacrificial demonstration, not not only are our marriages going to work, they're going to be successful. I'm not going to have to worry about a number of the worldly consequences coming in and and splitting that cleaving that we have because we're not going to allow the world to come in and to do that. Next, we'll talk a little bit about husbands knowing their wives. More than just the biblical sense of knowing. <laughs> because again, that's a byproduct. Going over to First Peter chapter three. Now there's so much we could have covered today, guys, that I literally have to limit it. First Peter chapter three, verse seven. Likewise ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. All of the instructions that we have in the Bible or that it gives us concerning how to make our marriages work are important, but this one here is especially important. Uh, Husbands are to dwell with our wives according to knowledge. Let me ask you another question. How many husbands here have a little bit better knowledge about what their wife likes and doesn't like? For the most part, when I come into my house after I've been out mowing the yard, my shoes are all nasty dirty, I don't walk across the carpet anymore with dirty, nasty shoes on. You know why? Because I know what my wife likes and I know what she doesn't like. I've learned that over the years. There's a few other areas of knowledge that I have increased on, but that's just a, a simple example, right? I don't come in with greasy pants anymore and sit on the, on the chair and leave the big grease stain, or, but it goes a whole lot deeper than that. I have to have the knowledge that it talks about here. Why? Well, I have to dwell with her. There's a whole lot of verses I could have gone. There's a whole lot of verses in the Old Testament I could have gone as we talk about this. But the word dwelling here is a Greek word. It's showing a domestic association. We get what he's trying to say here. you you got to live with her. (laughs) My wife watches a lot of those crime shows where guys don't end up living with their wives real long. But he says it's not that you just have to live with her. You need to live with her with knowledge. Now, what's he talking about? Well, to dwell with my wife according to knowledge means that I am to know and to understand and to comprehend the nature and the duty and the honorableness of marriage. But not just that alone. I literally need to understand my wife. My wife, right? My wife is totally different than Jerry's wife and John's wife and Larry's wife. Our wives are all different, right? I, have, I don't know the things about Wendy that Jerry does and vice versa, but I know my wife. That's the type of knowledge that I have to have as I begin to look at this marriage based on love where there's this cleaving taking place, okay? Okay. It's very logical that I can't treat my wife the way she specifically needs and desires to be treated if I don't know the requirements, one, the biblical requirements for, for marriage, and two, what it is that she wants and desires and needs. Let me give you a couple, of exa- a couple of examples. If one doesn't know the true nature of marriage and his wife's needs, he can't fully cleave as taught back in Genesis chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. If one doesn't know his duties in marriage as a husband, he can't fulfill his obligation to love his wife as mandated in Ephesians 5, verse 25. If one doesn't understand the permanency of the marriage bond, what I mean is, is this isn't like you can just get, and get into the marriage and then whatever you want, check out. Right? If he doesn't understand that, then he may not want to fulfill his obligation as shown there in Matthew 19, really verses uh, one, through, 1 through 9. right? He may not have that full understanding of marriage and the cleaving and except for fornication, and so if he doesn't understand that, he may think, I'll just, do it, I'll just do it a different way. If one doesn't comprehend the honorableness of marriage and the marriage bed, he may not treat the marriage with the intimacy and the respect that's mandated in Hebrews 13.4. And we could go on and on and on. There are so many things that a husband needs to comprehend and to understand, and if he doesn't understand that, his marriage is going to suffer. Now... You may be saying, well, how in the world am I supposed to get all that knowledge? Well, uh, you know, it's interesting. When I was taking my master's in counseling, there's an awful lot of books written out there on marriage. Tons of them. I've read quite a few of them. And here's what I have found. Many of those books do not have the answers for the relationship of marriage, which was designed and created by God. Some of them have helpful information, but some of them are completely wrong. So, if you want to have some idea about marriage, then you have to understand, just as any other topic, you've got to go to the Bible. Listen to 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We rightly divide the word of truth on all kinds of subjects, and one of those is marriage. And so, if you want to have good marriage you need to go back and you need to study and know your Bible. Now, again, I don't need to just know what the Bible teaches on marriage because, again, also involved in this idea of dwelling with my wife, according to knowledge, is that I know my wife. To cleave, to cleave to my wife, I have to take time and effort to really know what it is that she wants, what she needs, what she dislikes, what makes her happy, what makes her sad, what makes her secure, what makes her insecure. All of those things, all tied together, allow me to be able to dwell with my wife and to have this strong marriage that I know is going to be able to get through whatever it is that the world is tempting us with or trying to come in and pull us apart. All right, husbands honoring their wives. I'm going to go ahead and stay here with 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. I've had some people really push back when you begin to look at not just this passage, but some others. Uh, Here you've got the instruction to give honor unto the wife. Now, this was especially needful back in Peter's day. I'm not going to go back and spend a lot of time on, on the women's roles and rights and so forth in the first century, but... Outside of Christianity in the first century, women were not treated oftentimes very good. Uh, Oftentimes they were treated a little more than just um, um, items to keep around for beneficial needs and to take care of whatever it is you need done. Sometimes even really treating them much like servants. However, as christianity came into effect and as we saw the church begin to build up and we see what is instructed for husbands christians were looked at very different from the other nations in the world around them and that is because christian husbands were told to uphold their wives with respect and with honor and guys the same thing is true for for today if it's commanded in the bible It's required for me to do it, right? And so in the first century, those men, Christian men, Christian husbands, were looked at very different from the world around them uh, because most nations did not treat women the way that Christian men did. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, keep my commandments. I'm, I'm commanded to give honor to my wife. Matter of fact, John 14, 21 says this, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. I keep the commands of Christ in all regards, not just regarding my marriage, because one of the things it does is is it shows that I love him, and therefore I have this obedient faith in doing what it is I've been told. And one of those things is to give honor to my bride. If I love Christ, I'm going to love my bride, and that includes honoring her as It says there, joint heirs of the grace of life. Do you guys look at yourselves that way? Holding hands, getting through this life as joint heirs together. Husbands are to be sympathetic to the desires and the feelings of their wives. And husbands have a higher duty than just providing for their wives' physical needs. Now, don't get me wrong, and I'm going to touch on that here in a minute. But it goes a whole lot more than that. if all, if all I was to my wife was a paycheck, you know, I, I, paid the, I paid the house payment and whatever, what kind of marriage would that be? And I'm sure there are marriages that are like that. There is a whole lot more involved than just providing for physical needs. The respect and the admiration, the recognition of who she is and what it is that she does or brings to the marriage, this honoring that is supposed to take place, and nobody in their right mind would would hurt somebody that they honor, right? Certainly when agape love is in effect. And so if you begin to think about all of these things, if all husbands would place their wife up on a pedestal and honor her in the way that she ought to be honored, and I'm assuming she's a faithful Christian wife and mother who is doing those things worthy of honor, if she's given that honor, guys, think about how strong that marriage is going to be. Again, that cleaving is going to take place. That would, I would say, you know, there are no divorces between faithful husbands and wives. Let me say that again. There are no divorces between faithful husbands and wives. That's not going to happen. One of the reasons husbands are to honor their wives, I'm going to get some pushback here. They are the weaker vessel, 1 Peter 3, 7. That doesn't mean that they are inferior to men, either morally or morally, or intellectually, or with regard to their with regard to their rights, and this has nothing to do with roles. We've talked about biblical roles. There are certain things that husbands do. There are certain things that wives do. There are certain things my wife does that I can't do, and vice versa. This is not about this is not about equality. We're talking about roles, okay? But as the weaker vessel, uh, as a common rule, women are as a common rule are more tender. And delicate and usually very feminine uh, and they're treated with admiration based on those qualities right I mean I'm gonna be honest with you my wife does not mow yards my wife doesn't do well with bugs right camping things like that why she's of a more delicate nature than I am okay and I understand that so in that sense they are oftentimes described as the weaker vessel Knowing this, we treat our wives as such uh, with the special kindness and attention due them, giving them honor and respect. I don't expect my wife to go out and to ch- you know, change my tire, change my oils, and do those types of things. That's not what she does. Uh, it, she's, in a sense, the weaker vessel. That's just not how it, how it works. And for most marriages, I'd say oftentimes that's how it works. They're... I can't speak for everyone's house there are man things that get done at my house and there are lady things that get done at my house and sometimes i mean there's some of those things i can do and some she could do but we kind of have our own roles and how we carry stuff out right and for the most part the heavier stuff and the harder stuff physically demanding i do and that's really what we're talking about here Let's talk about this for a minute. Now, this wasn't originally in here. However, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I touched on a topic and someone said, can you come back and cover this just briefly? And I was waiting to work it into a sermon. So let me talk a little bit about provision, husbands providing for the families, because there was a little bit of a question on this. Uh, And I'll have you know that as I prepared this lesson, I actually went out and I took a poll. (laughs) Every time I came across a married lady, I asked her a question. So, and then I kept the results of that. So you guys will hear the results. Husbands providing for their families. 1 Timothy 5.8. But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith, and is worse than an infidel. All right, I don't have to go back and spend much time. Husbands, without a doubt, are to be the head of the house. Ephesians 5.23, and we could look at a number of passages I don't need to do that. We've studied that a number of times. And part of this is providing for our families. Now, here's the question oftentimes, and you get some pushback. What about working wives? Are you saying that it's sinful? I didn't say that. We're talking about husbands being the providers. However, we have to realize we live in a society where, for a number of reasons, it is not uncommon for women to work outside of the home. Uh, And because of our society's attitude regarding Uh, working women, uh, the high cost of living, and a number of other reasons which I'll touch on here for just a second or in just a second. Sometimes there are circumstances where working is part of the solution for that household. What I mean is is she she may determine to work for a uh, period of time until um, something is worked out. She may work part-time, she may work full-time. We do have examples of women Working in the Bible, I'm going to give a, a little clarity here, though. You've got Lydia, who was a seller of purple, Acts sixteen fourteen. We can go over and look at the virtuous wife there in Proverbs 31. describes a very uh, busy wife who's providing and ensuring that her household is taken care of. There isn't anything in Scriptures that says it's sinful for a woman to work, and there are a number of reasons she may have to. There are women who have had to go work or chose to go work because... Uh, they financially were struggling. There are women currently that work for reasons such as their husband has passed away, um, they are, they're involved in some other type of a work that helps bring income in for the household, same as we see here with Lydia. And there's a whole number of, of reasons. Either the husband cannot work, I had a lady one time say my husband physically cannot work, he's on disability and I work. Are you saying that's sinful? I didn't say that. There are reasons where a woman may have to work However, if a woman chooses to work, that does not mean she can neglect any of her other duties as a wife. The very fact that I go work a secular job also does not mean that I can neglect any of the other duties that are required for me as a father and a husband, right? So I still have to do those, and the same thing would be the case for any female that chooses to work. And yet the design for the home was for the husband to be the leader, and it was for the husband to go out and to provide for the family. Now, many people today do not want to define roles for men or women, right? If you say, well, that's a man's role, that's a woman's role, you can just expect to have pushback and you're gonna be labeled as something, right? I guarantee that's what's going to happen. But the truth of the matter is, as in society said, you, you, can't, you can't have roles for people. The truth of the matter is, is every single relationship, even the people that say that type of stuff, They are based on roles within the individuals of that relationship. And feminism and modernism today have gone and really tried to imply that for women who choose to work at home or to work out of the house and to raise their family, they have tried to imply that that is something less than those women who are out in the workforce full time. let me point something else out. I'm talking about married women right now. There are a number of reasons why women who are women who are not married I have daughters that work they're not married why do they work they both live in my house well I don't pay for all of their bills they work Uh, and they can they can continue to work until they get married and and maybe at that time they'll change their mind based on one being a wife and possibly being a mother but two women oftentimes if they could be single and living on their own so they're gonna work we're talking about what a what a wife chooses to do within the marriage now With that being said, I was a little curious. How would all of the married women where I work answer the question? Would you continue to work as a wife and mother? Would you continue to come here every day if your husband was the sole provider and his income was enough for you to live comfortably? I went through the manufacturing plant, and for every woman that was married that I was aware of, I asked the question, I did not have one, not one married woman with children say, yes, I would continue to work here. Every one of the married women who had children told me, if my husband made enough money on his own salary for me to stay at home, to work out of the house, and to raise my children, I would do that, every one of them. Matter of fact, I had one lady. And hopefully she doesn't watch my sermons. I had one lady who made it very apparent, she didn't say it, but her words showed it, that she resented her husband. And she said, I have always been the breadwinner. My husband, he doesn't hold a job, and he doesn't make enough money to support our family, and he never has. I've always outperformed him, and therefore I am the one that has to carry the workload. There was resentment in her voice. He doesn't provide for the family like he needs to, so I'm forced to do it. Now, that was all of the women with children. Every one of them said, I would, I would work at home, I would not work full-time here. I had one person who was married but does not have children yet, and she made this response, and I get it. And she said, uh, if my husband made enough money just on his salary, I would still work at least part-time so that I stayed in the workforce and so that I, I still had some way to provide for myself in the event that something happened to him I get that I get that that was the only person that said they would continue uh, to work but even she said she would not work full-time she said only only enough to keep my hand in the water basically that in case something were to happen my wife's had that discussion what happens to me if I die I could see my wife carrying a, a part-time job or going back to school or doing something. Not that I plan on dying anytime soon, but it could happen. So here's what was interesting is I went and asked all of these ladies. I didn't tell them why I was doing it. There was not one, not one married woman with children who said, yes, I would continue to stay in the workforce full-time, at least not of the ones that I asked. So did that surprise me? No, I think what I found is is that that is a common desire of wives with children. It is that their husband would be the leader of the house and that he would provide in a way that takes care of them. But oftentimes that doesn't happen for a number of reasons. And so sometimes women do choose to enter into the workforce. I didn't cover as near as much as I wanted to today, guys, but we did spend quite a bit of time talking about the roles of husbands, Uh, And as I've always said, more than happy to go back and we will speak on any topic anyone ever wants. We really could have spent a lot more time on the role of the husband. I hope that this gives you a little bit of more understanding, especially for the ladies that are looking for husbands, on what you need to be looking for. For those of us that are husbands, I hope it gives you a little bit of a reminder of what it is you are supposed to be to your spouse. Now, as I draw this to a close, certainly my concern would be for anyone who is here or watching this who is not a Christian. I'm not going to go back and cite all the verses by memory like I normally do. If you are watching this, if you are not a Christian or if you're not even quite sure what that means, don't don't go around and just ask people how to become a Christian. What I encourage you to do is go back and open your Bible up Go specifically to the book of Acts and begin to read through the conversion accounts and even in the epistles where we have conversion accounts. And you'll find it was the same way every time. And what they did to become Christians is what you do to become a Christian today. There were those that were preaching and teaching the Word of God. That's how faith comes, Romans 10, 17. They heard about Jesus and they heard who He was and why He came. And they got an understanding of the fact that He was the Redeemer. And You have to believe Hebrews 11, 6. And if you don't believe He was the Messiah, you're going to die in your sins, John 8, 24. So they heard about Jesus and who He was and why He came and the fact that He was going to establish this church. And part of that was that they were in their sin because of their own choices and they needed to repent of that, Luke 13, 3 through 5. And that they needed to confess Christ, Romans 10, 9 and 10. And finally, in every conversion account, the believer was immersed in water for the remission of sins. Jesus teaches that in Mark 16, 15, and 16. Peter taught that there on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, verse 38. We could also, if you're just writing verses down, write down it's how you get into Christ, Galatians 3, 26 and 27. It is a burial in water, Romans 6, 3 and 4. It's how you come into contact with the blood, and it does save you. 1 Peter 3, 21. Baptism, I've had people accuse me of, you just believe if people get wet, they'll be saved. No, I don't, but I believe it's part of the process of salvation again, 1 Peter 3.21. If you're watching this and you've not done that, if you've never heard that, call us, send us an email, let us study with you. If you're here and you're not a Christian, please don't leave without talking to somebody. Again, as I draw this to a close, for all the husbands, go back and ask yourself, are you cleaving to your wife? Are you loving your wife the way that you should? Are you providing for her emotional needs and also for her physical needs? There's a way that I can help you in any way or if we can pray for you on your behalf, you can come forward as we're leading a song of invitation.